Hello, Welsh Cowboy Red, Nottingham Forest have been 3-2 at Old Trafford on Saturday after racing into a two-goal lead. Joe Orr was sent off and Marcus Rashford won that decisive penalty. With fans and the club furious over both incidents, we'll discuss the game in full, plus the latest transfer news with Andre Santos in, and he could be joined by another Brazilian in Murillo. Wilfred Ndidi could add to the African contingent this, this week, and there could be a flurry of exits led by Brennan Johnson. Joining me to discuss all that are, first of all, former Reds midfielder Lewis McGugan. Lewis, thanks for joining us on a bank holiday. Are you well? Yeah, yeah, not too bad, thank you. Good, good, good to have you with us. Second guest is Michael Temple. Temps, how are you? Doing okay, mate. I've been for a run this morning already because I was at this food festival with Greg and ended up having three pints, steak and chips, a vegan non-witch and uh, a pad thai. So, yeah, trying to make the best of my bank holiday Monday. Greg swapped the food for the beer by the sound of it. Greg Mitchell, how are you? Yeah, I'm all right. I think I was drowning my sorrows. I need some help if anyone wants to help me get fit, I think, because Temp certainly isn't. We are not helping. <laughs> not fit. Not fit or not helping. <laughs> Both. <laughs> Greg's made some drunken notes, which he's not allowed to read out after last night, but hopefully he's got some other thoughts formulated. In fact, we'll start with you, Greg, because you were there, as was Lewis. Um, give us just some overall summations, and obviously we'll get into refereeing and all the decisions but just overall what was your feeling walking away from the ground well I always had this niggly thought that um it's never going to be as good as last season like some of the games and you know those first five minutes I've never experienced anything like it in a way and you'd sometimes expect the odd goal and yeah great celebrations but that second goal I've never been in anything like it and um you know what happened after that was just so crushing so crushing I mean there isn't many fans in there who didn't think we didn't deserve something, but I'll just take a lot from them first five minutes, to be honest, because uh, it was pretty pretty sad walking out the ground and it shouldn't have been like that. Just before we get into the incidents, Lewis, I mean, you've been on a pitch where you probably race into an early lead. Is there ever a feeling of scoring too early or is, can you not never look at it that way? Yeah, it's it's one of those things. I know it's sometimes... It's not nice to think to have that kind of mindset or that or thinking like that. that. But the the players and, and manager would have had a game plan going into Old Trafford, going into Manchester United. And, and normally when you go to them big teams and big ground, it's it's just try and kind of keep everything tight for the first 20 minutes and just build yourself into the game and just not give yourself kind of a, a mountain to climb as early on. I don't think any of them game plans probably would have been to be 2-0 up after <laughs> five minutes and you know you know what I mean in that in that period and sometimes it can it can it can shock everything it can also shock your mindset because now you're completely what you've worked on all week is completely kind of transformed and out the window and now you're you're tuning up they're coming at you uh and it's and it's sometimes it's a different place that you thought you'd find yourself in so at times listen you always want to score goals but sometimes scoring so early in them big games at, at, at them big stadiums can can sometimes have a bit of a a negative effect on negative effect on the whole game plan as such. Um, the first goal temps Taiwo again races away. I think that's uh, seven games in a row. You know, nine goals in that time. Just aside from the finish, are we even going to get a bit worried that this this you know January comes or even this week or this time next year? Some big clubs going to come calling with a very big offer for him now. I don't think so. I think he's asked for the season, but there was so much to do with that finish. An innocuous flick, really, from 
uh, Gibbs White into space. He, he turned the burners on, didn't he? And just got that first touch in behind Rashford. Perfect first touch. And then he just took one or two too many. If you watch the replay as well, Rashford turned the burners off. I think he'd, he'd actually made his recovery runners. Taiwo kind of steadied himself to, to shoot, took one touch too many, even took the keeper by surprise, who, who was sat down by the time he managed to almost, almost fluff it in. But no, I think he's ours. I think he's out and out first pick at number nine. I think he's um, disproved any um, doubters, you know, perhaps myself included at the start of last season, who saw the best of him in the box, but also saw that um, slight clumsiness and his, his kind of his manner. And yeah, the fact that he, he, he was struggling, wasn't he, and blown up after 65, 70 minutes. But that run of scoring is truly elite. Very, very different goals um, in amongst it. And I think despite the slight delay when he got past the penalty spot, that has to rank amongst the best yet. So much to do. The fact that that clip begins with Manu taking a corner and ends with Taiwo um, scoring 12 seconds later um, just shows how tuned in he is to this um, counter-attacking style. And I think he's going to be in this Forest side for at least a couple of years to come. And then, Greg, 2-0 up. Willy Bolly scores this face, which is absolutely heroic. I love when any player does that. And I thought he had a great game and was actually our man of the match, to be fair for me. At that point, do you feel it's on or are you still, it's so early in the game, you think, oh, it's, you know, they're going to get us back eventually? No, we all knew they were going to come back, but it was more the fact that we'd got to that point, like, yeah, scoring too early or something like that. But I mean, the first goal just, there's nothing better than seeing a striker have the whole of the whole of the pitch to run at. And I was on my seat already knowing he was going to score. And I think that's a sign of how we've come on. You're more confident in our players already. This time last year, you'd have been looking behind your, your hands thinking, oh God, he's going to miss this. But he didn't. It was a great goal. And the second goal, you know, good free kick, good play to get there. Brilliant crossing from Gibbs White. And yeah, I mean, I think Bolly was more shocked than any of us. It was just superb. And we did all right after that. We knew we couldn't keep attacking, but we did. We shored it up and we, we absorbed so much of their pressure. But obviously other people had uh, other things and it just didn't go our way. Um, we'll, let's keep saying we'll get to the... We'll probably do it chronologically and get to the referee in a minute. Um, the 2-0 up, Lewis, was the one time I thought Forrest made a bit of a mess of it. He just couldn't keep the ball... I don't mind them sitting deep, but there wasn't there was the quality of their passing seemed to be so off for me. They just kept turning it over. Was it a case for you of Forest sit? Was it a case for you of Forest sat too deep, or was it more of a case of they've got to be better with the ball to, to see out a lead like that? Yeah, I think on the overall, I think that once the managers and the players will will look back at it, I think that in terms of possession, in terms of when they had the ball, I think they kind of uh, lost lost possession quite easily at times and and have to maybe be a bit better under pressure of, of keeping that ball but i also think the, the kind of the narrative that i heard on saturday about was dropping deep dropping deep dropping too deep sometimes you can't help it you've got to understand that you're old trafford manchester united good players got at that point two no down got nothing to lose so they're going to be a even a bit more cautious than they, than they originally was. And they've got good players, good individual players. Even though as a team, I still think that they are miles off where they want to be. But sometimes you you just get pinned back 
uh, and it just becomes a bit of an onslaught and you try and get out, you try and get out. And if and Tywell obviously then dropped 20 yards deep and you you pretty much got all 11 men in, in one half, uh, their centre-halves are pretty much kind of passing out the halfway line. Um, some, like I said, from the sideline, the manager will be telling them to try and push up. But sometimes when you're just under that much pressure and you've got the crowd involved and they and they get a few attacks and, and it's, it's really hard to get up. And the moving side to side, up and down and trying to keep in that kind of shape it is so tiring mentally and physically that you just revert. Sometimes you just naturally just drop, drop, drop because that's your comfort zone. Your comfort zone is just dropping a little bit deeper and, and sometimes that just happens. Hmm. I think it made sense anyway to starve Rashford of space in behind. And we saw like West Ham go to Brighton with 18% possession and score three great goals. I, I do think it can work. It was just that spell where I didn't think we kept the ball well enough. Because we did it 2-1 and we were right in the game otherwise. Obviously, they're going to create chances. I thought Fernandez was excellent. Obviously, we'll get onto his involvement otherwise. But in fact, let's do that now. Temps, what was your take on um, Joe Worrell's red card? Was it a red? Should it have been a yellow with Bolly covering? What did you make of it? Well, as soon as the ref gave it, it wasn't going to be changed on VAR because he does grab his shorts on the way down. Only Joe will know if that was unintentional or intentional or, or just a bit clumsy. But it, it's hard to... Um, disagree or overturn the ref's uh, position on it from a VAR perspective. Would Bolly have got back? Yes, I think he would. Um, could Joe have stayed on his feet and applied pressure in a different way, eased across him? Probably not. I think uh, Bruno had just, just made that clever step, hadn't he? And he had a, a split-second um, decision to make. Fair outcome, yellow card, but it's, it's hard to um, argue against the ref's perspective. And I, I don't think there's any chance of that one being overturned. Yeah, I, I agree. Go on, Greg. What was your take? I'll ask everyone in every instance. It was so so important. What was your take on it? Well, you might as well just scrap VAR because Bolly was probably going to get to him. I've never seen a referee pull out a red card so quick in his life. But of course, as soon as that's happened, then because you can't guarantee Bolly isn't going to get there, it's it's a red. If he'd have not given a red, there's not a chance that's overturned to be given. So again, what is the point in VAR? Scrap it today. I really do believe that now. There's too many. It's now benefiting the bigger teams, especially the Man United, and you can't avoid it. Like the Wolves situation, that was an absolute disgrace. And then there's these two things this weekend with us. It's always going to benefit the big clubs at the big stadiums because the referees get excited just like we do <laughs> when we're there. It's a different, it's a different atmosphere. And if VAR isn't going to then correct the decisions because for me, it's not a red card. Bolly's getting there. And what's the point in it? That is the perfect situation to do it. But we know the way VAR works and they protect the ref's decision. Ah, yeah. As Greg's kind of hit on what I was going to ask you there, Lewis. Does it feel like it's become a protection raf racket for refs to look after their mates now or not? Or did you think it was a red card? Listen, I think the incident itself, it, it it's one of those situations, as Temp said, that you can have your arguments about it, but also you, you, if the red card shown, you're also not surprised. So, listen, if it's if it's against your team, you're going to have your opinion. But the other way around, you'd, you'd be expecting a red card. I, I think in terms of the in terms of the incident, in terms of Joe, I thought to be fair, I thought Joe was really good, uh, really good on on, on Saturday and, and prior to the sending off. I, I I think they've just got 
caught with a little bit of a flip ball round the corner, which sometimes happens as the as the back three are moving up. Sometimes that little round the corner ball can can sometimes just just catch you out. And I also think that Bruno is straight away is is always looking for contact because I think at that point he knows that he hasn't got the legs to run past and run beyond Joe. And obviously uh, with Bolly coming over. So as soon as that contact, he's kind of waiting for that contact because he knows he isn't going to be able to go that kind of extra 10 yards. Maybe if, if it was Rash, Rashford or Anthony with that pace, they're probably looking to kind of get on the end of it, get away and push. Whereas the likes of Bruno, he's probably waiting for that contact. And that, if you look back slightly, I think Joe just stumbles just a little bit before, which then initiates the contact and and, and we know once that's going to happen, Bruno's going to go down. That's just the uh, that's just the reality. But I, I think it was unfortunate. But sometimes, as as a as a back three and a back five, you're trying to push out and you're trying to make sure that everyone's coming out with you. And that little bit of a split second and that ball flip round the corner can just sometimes catch you out. Um, let's move on to the penalty, and we'll probably finish with a, a wider discussion briefly about refereeing and VAR. Perhaps I don't know. Uh, back to you, Temps. Penalty, dive, what was it? It's never been a penalty, has it? I think Rashford has, has anticipated contact and give it the full Klinsman with his head back, his arms outstretched, the exaggerated foot movement. I mean, it's a, it's a textbook USA 94 Jürgen Klinsman special um, that the, the likes of which is probably a bit of an indictment on football rather than Marcus Rashford. There's umpteenth examples of that kind of um a penalty being given he's invariably going to be faster than his his fullback or the center mid in this case that he's squaring up runs to the byline slightest bit of contact he, he's going to hit the deck he did it theatrically i don't think um danilo could have done anything more really he was about to launch into a challenge he he pulled out um we've all seen several angles now which show the most minuscule amount of contact, if any, nothing like that that would justify uh, Marcus Rashford um, falling in that way. Not a penalty for me. Massive turning point in the game and the reason why we came away from Old Trafford without any points. Sorry, my WhatsApp tab was on there. Ruined your very good words there, Temps. Um, what about, for, from a Forest point of view, Greg, is the anger for you and fans there, if that's at the other end, that's not going to be given, is it, at Old Trafford, I would feel. What do you think? Uh, not at all. I mean, there's so many annoying things. And if you watch Match of the Day, it was a clear penalty, wasn't it, the way they edited that very cleverly. But um, there was it wasn't a corner in the build-up to the penalty. It's all these little decisions that then build up to the big one. And if, if Far is going to show you things, then how far back do you go? Because it should never have been in a position to be given in the first place. Um yeah, you can watch a million angles and probably half of them look like there was contact and it was a penalty because Marcus Rashford is one of the best at doing it. He can buy free kicks, he can buy penalties all the time. But why aren't then referees and VAR saying, right, he's got form for this, let's look at it. There was an angle where if there's any contact at all, I'm not sure, uh, he falls at the perfect angle. It looked like a penalty. It looked like a penalty from when we were sitting. But then VAR's there to, you know, investigate whether it was. And for me, it wasn't. He, I don't even think he touches him, to be honest. But of course it's given because it's Man United and Man United will always get the big decisions at home. I think for me, 
I'm not sure it's so much of our question as a question of referee competence. I mean, I put in our WhatsApp group when it was announced he was referee. Stuart Atwell is the worst referee in the Premier League. And I just think he had a terrible game. And he, as soon as Rashford went down, he was giving that penalty. I and mean, he was typified when two of our players ran into each other and he gave us a foul. And Rashford actually booted the way and got him booked for it. Because I think Stuart Well is not up to the, the standard of a Premier League referee. What what was your take on the penalty, Lewis? Well, just 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 prior to that, I'd just like to mention I've only had one red card in my career, and funnily enough, the one referee who gave me that red card was Stuart Atwell. So, <laughs> uh, at Pride Park, but my ad, so it was a it was a double whammy. I think in terms of the refereeing of VAR, I think that there there's a serious problem and I think that they now have to really try and look at this and that and yes okay we've looked at the game and we've gone on the kind of the uh, wrong decisions but I think as a whole how many now weekends of football is consumed by decisions and VAR it's just it's taken over it's taken over the results it's taken over the kind of play it, 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 it's all everyone's talking about I think that before VAR is that referees are human beings like like us all and we all make mistakes and sometimes human error you make mistakes the the pace of play the atmosphere and sometimes referees have made mistakes and they see it from one angle and they've got to make that split decision and get it wrong for me vars was supposed to be brought in to kind of understand that their mistakes will still happen but now they're in a studio with calm with none of the outside noise, they've got different angles, they can slow it down. But it feels like a, a point where it's like they don't want to make a decision and overturn it. Now, for me, there's no point in VAR then, because what are you in there for? Because you're not you're not helping out, they say they're helping out their friends by not overturning it. But in reality, all you're doing is bringing more pressure onto the whole system. So we understand that people get it wrong. That is, that's fine, that's human error, it's going to happen. But surely you're there to now help the people in the in the referees in the middle and to overturn it at that point. If, and, and I just don't understand where this is going because it's just getting worse by the week and it's now consuming the whole of football and they've got to somehow put a stop to it. And if that made sense, listen, if you get it wrong, we're going to have to overturn it that's fine and, and and we deal with the consequences after that but the consequences are is that I'm a human being I've I'm in the heat of the game heat of the battle and I've made a decision okay now looking at it back and having that kind of system I now got it wrong but surely that's better than to have uh, uh people in a studio with all this time with all this technology and still making the wrong decisions I I, I don't know I, I like I said I I think Surely you rather have the human decision on a date. Don't get me wrong, teams are still going to be annoyed and people are still going to get a cost point. But that has been football and that's the reality of football. Like that's can't change. But surely that's better than people being in the studio and having all, all this technology and all this time and all these angles and still coming up with the wrong decision. I think that bring, brings more scrutiny onto the whole situation uh, than the than the referee just making a wrong decision on the day. Yeah, it's got even worse under Howard Webb as well. He was a really good ref and you thought he would get better, but now we're messing about with booking players for kicking the ball away and stuff like that. I mean, I'm on board with the dissent and everything, but 
I don't know. What are you going to say, Greg? No, there's two things in the comments that I agreed with. Jason Gilborn said, um, why isn't the ref asked to go to the screen? Like, surely a, a penalty decision like that, make him go and have a second look. Not just, oh, yeah, we agree with you, mate, penalty straight away. And the other one was, which I think is great for someone like Lewis to answer, uh, what about like ex-players being involved? I'm amazed this has, it hasn't gone to that yet, where they get ex-players on the football panel, if any of them would, of course. I'm sure there'd be some out there that would be good at it, because you, you do that in cricket and in other sports. Mm. What do you think about that, Lewis? I just don't think it will ever happen. I think that the, mm. the refereeing kind of unity is, is one on its own. And I don't think that they will ever allow kind of ex-players to come into that. Uh, I just, I don't, I don't disagree with the idea. Uh, I think it's, it, it's a situation where it could help. Uh, but I just don't think that they will allow it. Uh, I'm just going to, if people spam the comments and just create another account and I'm, with the same comments, then I'm just going to keep banning you, which is a pain in the ass for me, but more of a pain in the ass for you. Right. Um, lost my flow now. That was annoying. Um, shall we uh, move on? I wanted to talk about um, their goals, getting back into it. Was there anything we could, oh, hang on, I'm going back. I knew I was going to ask you, Lewis. I remember, sorry. Was there ever any refs where, when they were announced, either yourself or the rest of the team thought, oh, no, we're going to have a shocker. And also, was there ever any ref where you thought, if I go down into like contact in the box here, I've got a good chance of getting a penalty? 100% that happens. Like I say, you'll be in the change rooms and it'll, it'll always come from the manager. And sometimes you'll have some that... And what it would be, you'd be like, someone is... A referee may be card happy. A referee may be very kind of obnoxious and always wanting to make a big decision, like always wanting to be centre of attention. So it's that, listen, don't give him that opportunity. And so that 100% happens that you'll see the you'll see the officials and you'll kind of have that feeling of them. But there's also some refs that you, you get and I've had and you think to yourself, yeah, you know what? Fair play. Because the biggest thing about and a lot of players that you'll say, the biggest thing is, is that as long as you can talk to them and have a conversation with them, we're all going to this kind of thing that referees had. They're so on the pitch. They don't want to, and even to managers, they don't want to talk. They, they're rude. They're disrespectful. You're trying to have a conversation. They, they, they put themselves on this pedestal. And it just, all it does is just bring tension. Whereas the best referees, they have a conversation. And even if they make the decision, they go, that's the reason why I've made it, Lewis. There you go deal with it, get on with the game. And it's just it's just simple, but it's the ones where you try and speak to them and they're looking at you like, stay away from me, you listen, you, you, you pass the zone. Or straight away, they just give you that reaction. And as players, it just causes that animosity. And eventually in that game, there will be a tipping point where something will happen. But it normally comes from an incident that they haven't controlled properly, which just makes everything add fuel to the fire. So it definitely does happen in terms of before games you look at the officials and, and and good or bad you'll have your own personal opinion and the manager will mm. um i'm going to move on there's so much to get through today we haven't we've got lots of transfer stuff as well um temps was there anything you think we could have done better to prevent any of their goals specifically the second one i'm thinking of was that the brennan got isolated was that an error on his part or was it just clever from united 
Several examples in the recent games against Man United where Bruno Fernandes is just on a different plane of thought. I'm thinking back to the dinked free kick at the city ground onto Christian Eriksen that nobody else was on the same wavelength. He took a free kick to Dallow when everybody expected him to shoot after the Worrell incident where even his own teammate was fast asleep. He created a goal, a clear goal scoring opportunity. He just thinks in a contrarian manner. So everyone's set up for that cross. Fernandez is unmarked with Brennan Johnson being a one-man wall 10 yards from him. He knows full well if he plays that crossfield ball to Marcus Rashford, the next step for him is to make a diag behind Brennan to cushion the ball down for what's basically a tap-in at the back stick. Was it pre-planned or was it just footballing instincts? Well, Bruno Fernandes knew what he was doing. Marcus Rashford knew what he was doing. And they were fortunate that the Forest back line um, didn't, didn't respond. And there were two or three players there completely unmarked, ready to stick it in. So I think in this instance, you have to credit Bruno Fernandes. And this, this is a man who the Man United team is now built around. Even the back end of Cristiano Ronaldo's days at Man United, that team became Bruno Fernandes' team. And the reason is he just sees things on a pitch that others don't. So... Watch that goal back from his perspective. Watch his movement. Watch his diagonal running in behind Brennan Johnson, him calling for the cross and the assist for the goal. I think there's three or four moments that he's had in that passage of play where he's conjured something out of nothing. So as a football fan, I'm uh, yeah just in awe of what Bruno's done there. As a Forest fan, deeply frustrated because we didn't defend it effectively. The ball was played in behind three or four defenders who had rushed out to, to try and close down the Marcus Rashford cross and had lost their men. It was a, a very, very difficult, well-constructed goal, made to look very simple because of Bruno Fernandes' level. Yeah, I thought it was really clever, to be fair, because I guess um, I'll ask you, Lewis, from a coaching point of view, because that first man, Brennan, it's kind of a token role. You don't think you're going to do anything. You're just there to be busy. But it shows that you've got to be switched on all the time. And I, I think you give credit to United there from a coaching point of view, do you? Yeah, they're the small details. And, and the, the reality of football is that the higher level you go and at the, the, the top end of the leagues you go, games are decided most of the time on small details. And, and that is just a small detail of Brennan's just switched off a little bit. And that little split second, good players and good teams they'll take advantage, whereas maybe in the championship or maybe at lesser team, they, they just think, right, we're in that area. Nine times out of ten, we're just going to put it in the box, if that, that makes sense. They're not thinking of that little short, as Temp said, they're not thinking to play that. They're not thinking short. They're thinking, listen, we're in this territory. Let's just put it in the box. And they're the small details. What it's the top team, they will find out. And if you switch off for that split second, uh, that's what will happen. Just overall, Greg, on, on the game, obviously now we've played three. Last season, we got hammered at Arsenal. We had a good win against Sheffield United, who I thought showed actually that, the, you know, they gave Man City a real game yesterday and they're going to be a dogged team even for lacking quality. And then, you know, we've tested United finally after struggling against them all last season. Do you feel like we're making gradual progress even if we've only got three points on the board so far? Yeah, of course we are. And it gives you so much more confidence now going into a, a Chelsea game where we could think about getting some win. It was great before the game at Man U. Everyone's talking like genuinely meaning it, like we can get something. This time last year, 
it's only idiots like me talking like that. But, you know, there was a genuine belief that we could get something. And it turned out, we, you know, we were correct other than some bad decisions. We should have. Um, but we do have to turn them into to getting something, to getting a point somewhere like Chelsea. I mean, Man City is possibly the only game this season where you, you don't think it's it's possible. But, yeah, it's the, by far the toughest start to, in a way, away run of games that we're getting. We've got two brilliant accounts of ourselves, but we've got to turn it into into a point at least because, you know, after six games, you, you've got to be looking at the two home wins and hopefully a, a point on the road at least. And I think that would be fair for us. I think that's that's what we deserve, the way we're performing. Yeah, Chelsea's going to be tough. They're a bit of an unknown quantity. Having watched them against Luton... They're playing, you know, they don't look the finished article at all. They've got a lot of talent, so I think that one could go either way. We'll talk about that on Thursday uh, in general, I think. Right, let's move on to transfers. Uh, Andre Santos in on loan from Chelsea, 19 years old, very exciting, can, you know, play a couple of roles in midfield. What do you make of the signing temps before we get on to other names? Yeah, I mean, he's going to be a top six central midfielder at some point in the next two to three years. So hopefully, like the John Terry loan of 20 years ago, we, we've, we've got this lad at the, the right time. Um, Brazil capped, uh, can score a goal, as we saw in that um, under-21s run that he had. Um, but yeah, adaptable and able to play as a, a six or an eight. And I think that's important because we have several players in our squad whose roles are relatively um, defined and the challenge for him now is to break into that midfield in whichever role we ascribe I'm slightly surprised to see some of the other names that we've been linked to, linked with um, given the the number of central midfielders that we've got at the club at, at this moment they obviously have seen something different in Andre Santos I, I can't quite anticipate what role Steve Cooper has in mind for him because I can't imagine that, that Chelsea would be too keen um, to loan a player like that without some kind of uh, of semblance of a guarantee that he's going to have meaningful game time. So expecting him to come into the team in the next two to three weeks and, and fascinated to see uh, where that will be because there's two or three players that we're looking over their shoulder once Andre Santos is in the building. Yeah, I mean, the other one, Lewis, is Wilfred Ndidi. He's been on the list all summer and obviously we're not going to get Sangare by the look of it. Fafana, we're missing out on. So then we got Andre Santos and he thought, great, we've got our defence midfielder. And then last night, uh, Fabrizio Romano saying we were after Wilf and Didi from Leicester as well. Uh, speaking to Leicester fans, great player a couple of years ago. Uh, the comment I saw a lot of, someone forwarded to us, I put them in the WhatsApp group, was it's sad to see how far he's fallen, was a repeated comment. Um, what do you make of the potential interest in Didi? What's it saying to you? Yeah, listen, uh, like we, we had a we had an exchange of messages last night, Matt, and I said that I think it's just now that more so, I think a lot of people, especially in that area, need to probably move move out the door. Uh, and I, and you maybe look at Ndidi, maybe is that kind of Keate kind of leaving that little replacement for that in terms of the squad of that kind of type, the the, the physical kind of defensive uh, midfielder. Uh, listen, until it until it's done, uh, it, it it can just be conversations and until it's through the door. Is a it, it can all change, but obviously they've got the the young the young player from from Chelsea. 
and we'll see how he fits into it. But it's but it'll be interesting to see the way the club and Steve Cooper are looking at, especially that area, and how they're gonna kind of go about things moving moving throughout the season. You love Leicester, Greg. What do you what do you think about signing Andidi? So yeah, Madison had a rough season last season. He's gone to Spurs and he's firing. If we can get the best out of Andidi, it's great. But if he's a player the last two years, then it, it could be a, a rough one. What do you think about it? Yeah, they all uh, they all think he's rubbish, don't they? And you know he's blown out and this that the other. However, my mate Ian, who I've uh, I've known all my life, and we've gone backwards and forwards against Leicester, he's just said. Uh, some some Leicester fans try not to appear bitter online, which I get. And he put on his days, fantastic ball-winning warrior. Thought he was going to get a big move a couple of seasons ago, but then he had like Tillmans and Madison that enabled him to just do simple jobs very effectively. Uh, so that's what we need, though, isn't it? Simple jobs, effectively getting it out. And I like that. You know, team of the year for the Premier League two years ago, you don't suddenly become a rubbish player. Of course they're going to say that. I'd be saying that. You know about Johnson if he goes elsewhere to my Spurs mate saying he's not up to it, but you know it's a lie. It's just the way football fans are. So I think it'll be a shrewd bit of business. It'll be a shrewd signing. So I'm all for it. He's certainly not suddenly become a poor player. What's the midfield balance going to be for you, Temps? Because Santos, Chelsea are going to have some kind of assurances he's going to get minutes. And Didi all wants to play. Danilo is super talented but hasn't really hit the heights yet. And we know what Ryan Yates is. And Mangala finished last season really well. What are we aiming for here, do you think? Well, I can't help but think we're aiming for a a four-man midfield or a three-man midfield, depending on how we shape up just in front. But while there's three centre-backs in the team, there's going to be a lot of central midfielders on the bench. I think the manner in which we've um, performed against Man United and Arsenal is indicative that we have progressed. But to, to make that leap from... Uh, a counter-attacking team trying to scrap on the road to a, uh, a front foot side and that, that takes advantage of mid-table teams on the road. I think we have to find a way to get one of these talented central midfielders in the team at the expense of one of the centre-halves. McKenna being the obvious example um, at, at the moment of uh, a squad player, a good backup player who's um, being forced to start because of the situation around him. So I just wonder if Cooper is thinking... What's my means of getting extra, extra um, midfielders into this side? I need to raise the quality. I need to raise the choice. I need to raise the, the levels of those that are available to me. So if that becomes a 4-5-1, which I think is far more likely than a, than a 4-4-2, um, maybe with Gibbs White in that prefer, his preferred role just, just off um, Taiwo, then we're going to see the benefit of these, these players. But while we play five at the back, you're going to have three or four of your more talented um, central midfielders sat on the bench, even after we've cleared out the likes of O'Brien, Freuler, Shelby, one or two others that are being mentioned. So, so yeah, I think Cooper is asking himself, what, what do I need to do to play a back four? And the obvious answer is improve the quality of the midfielders at his disposal. Uh, Peter's better than me than this. Uh, there's 666 people watching. That's an ominous number, but only 52 likes. So do us a favour and hit like if you're watching. Be very much appreciated because it does make a difference. What's Cooper aiming for tactically, Lewis? Do you think this is speculating? But does he want to play a back four in the long term? Do you think? Or is he playing a three at the moment due to a lack of pace with Nia Kate out and maybe Murillo to come in? What 
What's what's the long term plan? Do you think? Listen, I think I think at this point in time is 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 a bit of needs more. So even though he will have his plan and he'll have where we where he wants the team to be and how he sees the team shape up. But I think a big thing would be kind of he needs a transfer window to kind of come and pass. And 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 once that's kind of that's shut, then it's a case of now you can really implement what you've got. You know that the personnel that you're going to have. Uh, and then you can kind of work from there to the plan that he would be kind of had throughout pre-season. But I think at this point in time, obviously maybe a few injuries, not sure. Then you've got also, you've got the, it's, it, it, when you look at the fixtures at home, if you think Sheffield United, okay, probably uh, favourites to win it. Then you look at Burnley and the team. So you've got kind of one end of the scale at home. And then all your away games are, are, are the top team, so it's like it's two kind of different ends of the league. So maybe you can't you can't play the same against Sheffield United as you do against Chelsea next week. That just won't happen. So I think also the fixtures may have a do with it at the time the how they've come uh, and the schedule of that. But I think that over this kind of next couple of weeks, a lot of a squad will get finalised ins and outs. And then it can re- then him and his staff can really have that solid kind of base and really then put put to work exactly the way they want to go uh, at least till January uh, as such. Yeah, transfer deadline is um, Friday. Obviously, Forest have got Burnley before then in the Carabao Cup. So there's going to be lots of more deals. We think um, Murillo's a player we don't know much about. I've just watched the YouTube videos of him and he looks an absolute unit. I wouldn't argue with him certainly. But he's quite young, only played 27 career games. So, very exciting signing, but we'll have to wait and see with him. Uh, a couple of other names to touch on, potential uh, ins and outs. We'll just talk, briefly talk about Dean Henderson, Greg. Going to Palace. Are you gutted or are you not bothered so much now we've got Turner? Uh, I'm not so bothered. I think we're going to have to get another keeper as well as backup, aren't we? But... Yeah, Turner's done good for me. There's been no howlers. He's not the, of course, he's not the top four uh, keeper that we'd all love, but he's doing a good job and he's given me confidence, that's for sure. So Henderson's gone. It's just one of those things. It would have been great to have him. I'd have loved to have him, but I'm not sure what went wrong because he seemed very, very keen, didn't he? We were keen. Don't know whether Man United just don't like because I'm starting to th- starting to think that myself. But uh, yeah, it's a real shame. But he's he's not coming, is he? So move on for me. Palace are putting the money up, aren't they? Now it's like I think it's 15 million up front, right. five million more. So and we weren't prepared to do that, which you can understand with his injuries. And you know we've got Turner in, so yeah, I'm not gonna. It's a shame. I would like to see him play, but Turner's done fine for me, and see how he develops over time. Next name for you, Temps. Um, Callum Hudson-Odoi, favourites to get him, which will lead us on to Brennan. Uh, but in general, if Hudson-Odoi arrives, what would you think about it? Well, look, it's a signifier for me that that he was uh, a potential make-way in a Brennan-Johnson transfer to Chelsea. They've obviously um, looked elsewhere and also seen this re-emergence of Raheem Sterling, who, who looked like um, he was well and truly back to his best um, last, last time out. Callum Hudson-Odoi is a decent Brennan replacement for me. I think it signals that he is likely to go to Spurs in this window. He's a player that needs regular games and needs to prove that he can stay fit for a long period of time. If he does that, he'll become a a fan favourite of Forest. I have no doubt. Really like his pedigree. Really like the fact they're able to sign um, players of, of this 
calibre that his arrival for me does signal the end of uh, Brennan Johnson's time at Forest. It was only Thursday we were discussing if the potential exit routes for Brennan are drying up because he was looking it was just down to Spurs. And now it looks like he is going to Spurs. There's talk of mate weights with Sanchez and Brian Hill and a, a few others. Would you, what do you think about it, Lewis, in terms of would you just want the cash and get your own players in, or does a player plus cash deal appeal to you? Yeah, listen, I've, I, I don't change my stance on it that I said a few weeks ago. I don't think he'll be at the club come the end of the transfer window. Uh, the big thing for me, and I mentioned it to a few people around me on Saturday. That I've noticed, I, I, I feel that the manager also will be wanting a decision either way because I feel that at this point in time, if you look at the games, is that you look at Alanga coming in. At times in the game, you're looking at a change, right? There's no, there's no secret that we all understand that Gibbs White is Steve Cooper's player. He's his number one go-to, right? And we had that discussion about when it come down to it, Brennan was dropped and Gibbs White always started. Well, in the, well, in the games, what's happening, we probably need a difference, probably need a langer. But sometimes, and I understand the manager, that point where, well, he doesn't want to take Gibbs White off. But if he takes Brennan off, all that that's just going to fuel again all the story. He's took him off early. And he's now in, I feel like at times, he's in a bit of that catch-22 of like, I don't know what to do. Because at when Alanga probably needs to come on a lot earlier. You look at the Sheffield United game, eventually he kept them both on and, and 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 changed it a little bit. But at that point against Sheffield United at home, you can you can do that. But when it's that like for like swap, I think he's struggling to kind of do it early because I think it's just if I take Brennan off, it's just gonna fuel more situation about him leaving the door. It's gonna bring more kind of uh storylines around the club it's going to make this story even bigger so i think for the manager's point of view he just wants an end like is he staying staying that's it well at least till january he's staying put if not he's going to leave and i think that's the kind of best scenario and the quick scenario hopefully come friday that will happen either way because i think alanga's come in but if but i think we can all say that he hasn't really had a lot of game time he hasn't really been able to really put his mark on it yet and I just think that's probably more of a problem uh, right now for the manager that he just wants a solution uh, to happen and luckily enough this week is the end of the transfer window and we'll get that either way Yeah and I hope it doesn't drag to Friday night Um, it'd be better to get it sorted before then ideally two quick follow-ups from that first for you Greg I thought Brendan had a really good first half on Saturday not so much second half but you know, he's conducted himself very well through all of this, hasn't he? Yeah, he's been the ultimate professional. It would be so sad to see him leave because, you know, the academy players, they're becoming less and less of them, aren't they? And you can imagine we're going to get another centre-back in, which will probably move Warrell out again, so we'll see less game time for him. Um, and I don't think it's Brennan pushing for a move, is it, by the sound of things? And my mate, uh, someone in the comments was just saying, as I think it was Graham, has anyone done the calculations on FFP? And you can see why we do have to have this move. Um, so I've got a, a friend, Chris Denman, who runs the Time Added On pod, and he's done some calculations where if it includes the wood deal for this year, we've just spent 51 million this year and we've only offloaded 7 million worth of players. 
last year it was astronomical the difference so you can just see why we've now got to do it and you know maybe the recruitment some of the recruitment I don't want to sound too unfair last year has put us into this position where unfortunately Brennan's the star at the one that's worth the money the one that would give us a hundred percent worth to FFP because we never bought him for anything he's one of ours that he's just you know he's the sacrificial lamb and he's got to go and it's it's a real shame because I'd love to see how far he can go with us. But if it's not going to happen, I really hope it's a smooth one. We get a 50 million or more, but you can just see us really trying for that last hour transfer deadline day. Big move, you know, it just <laughs> it's the way we work, isn't it? So it does make me nervous. If we keep him, God knows where that puts us for the financial fair play stuff. And if he if he doesn't go or if he goes too late, then it could make us struggle getting someone in. Yeah, I do worry about people playing amateur accountant. We don't know. We don't see the books. So I would assume Forest know exactly where they are and where they need to be. My worry would be we end up kicking the can down the road and have a fire sale in a year and end up looking like wolves. But that's probably a question for another day. Uh, Temps, anything on that? And also, if Brennan goes... Uh, any worries about where the goals are coming from if Tyro's form dries up or he gets injured? Yes. Uh, Brennan Johnson is uh, an idyllic player for the style of football that we play at the moment. And with the amount of touches he, he gets in a game, he is strikingly efficient. Hence why these these clubs are looking at him through that lens. They know if they get him the ball more, he'll he'll contribute more through goals and assists. Um, so he will he will be missed. We're not a better team for having lost Brennan Johnson. We just have to accept that it, it doesn't necessarily make sense to have a, a single fifty million pound asset in a team that needs improvements uh, across the board to get to where they want to be. And they've taken a strategic decision that offloading a you know a, a right winger and inside forward. Um, to improve elsewhere is the, the manner in which to go. Brennan Johnson funds the acquisition of six or seven players, given, as Greg says, for FFP purposes, it's plus 50 million quid on the on the balance sheet. So I do understand it. I don't think it makes us a better team, and I don't want Brennan Johnson to go. If something breaks down and there is a, uh, a last-minute change of heart at, at Spurs or a quirk over personal terms or the fax machine breaks at the city ground at 10 to 11 on, on deadline day. Um, I won't be too disappointed. I think he holds his value and we can still uh, make this transfer or do something similar in six months or a year's time. So I'm, I'm, I'm not advocating for him to leave because he's been a poor servant, anything but. I think the manner in which he's whizzed through League One, Championship, Premier League and been a standout player in three very different teams is testament to how far he can go in the game. I wouldn't bet against him having a, a career in which he scores 100 Premier League goals. And if you look at the kind of company that would put him in and what he's done at 22 years of old, you can see why he's a special player, one that Spurs are willing to pay £50 million for. Don't want him to go. Think he will. Think we're going to be a slightly poorer team for it. But this is the reality of FFP. True. Right. Uh, shameless plug. Do you want to say something, Lewis, on that yeah, I think I think like I said, I think the biggest thing about it is that players going and players leaving is a reality of football. I think the big thing now is the pressure is on the recruitment side. Now, if you look at Brighton, for example, look how many players Brighton have lost, but the but their recruitment to replace has been that good 
that it just kind of falls into place. Like you lose, you're going to lose players. And when players get sold for big money, like we're talking about Brennan, that's like, that's good for the football club. That means the football club is doing the right thing. Sometimes you can't hold on to these players, but the thing about Brennan, it's not been a secret, has it? There's a, there's not, and that's why for me, the recruitment side has to be spot on because it's not been a secret that there's been interest. It's not been a secret that he might go. So the club have had time. It's not as if now all of a sudden this week, someone's interested in buying Brennan Johnson and it's come out of nowhere. Like that's now where the club has to realise where we are and that's where they need to kind of be, okay, this might happen and it probably will happen, but we have to be ready for it because you look at the likes of Brighton and all them clubs. And let's be honest, that's where Forrest the next stage we want to try and get to. And a, and a big part of what they're doing is their recruitment is so good that they know we will lose these players at a certain time. And if that happens, brilliant for the player. He's get, he's done really good for the club. It's time now for him to go. We've recruited a lot of money, but we've got someone now ready to go to take his place. And what if that doesn't happen, that's when the then pressure will become on why have you let Brennan Johnson go? The, the reality of football, that will always happen. You look at Harry Kane, Tottenham. No one thought Harry Kane would leave. Harry Kane's left. So it happens, but it's how you then work from it, how you then do your recruitment, and are you kind of in plan? If you're not in plan, you'll get found out. That's the reality. But you look at these clubs now of where we want to get to, and I use Brighton as a, as a prime example, they're always ready. Okay, we have our number for our player. As you look at with, with Casado, and they, they have their number. If that, that number's met, by all means, everyone shakes hands. Thank you very much. It's time for your next part of your career but we're ready to press the button on your replacement. And if that continues to happen, then losing these players, yes, is also not nice, and but it's also reality of football. And that's where maybe Nottingham Forest now have to come to the front and be ready in that department and be ready to go. He's gone. We've got really good money for a homegrown player. Here's the replacement. Let's keep moving. Uh, 740 people watching, so shameless plug that I should have done at the start of the show. I mentioned on Thursday about the Football Content Awards. It'd be great if you could vote for us for Best Premier League Podcast after being shortlisted last year and missing out. Uh, link's in the description on YouTube and audio, and I'll put it uh, in the Facebook comments if you're watching it on Facebook after we finish. So any support, greatly appreciated. Second one was quite a few people asking about shirt sponsorship. There was whispers again, maybe something this week. Uh, both you boys were saying that uh, you've been hearing. So we'll wait and see on that. Um, I just wanted to finish the last five, ten minutes on the Burnley games. We won't have a preview for that. Um, two main questions I want to discuss. I'll put the first one to you, Greg. Are you bothered if we lose? Are you bothered if we win, particularly being as it's a Carabao Cup tie? Uh, well, we're semi-finalists of this. We take it seriously. So I think we absolutely... Uh, it looks like it's going to be a sellout, which is incredible. We played Burnley five years ago in the third round of the League Cup and there's not 10,000 people there. So, yeah, we're going to take this seriously. There's going to be a chance to see some of these players that haven't played at home yet for us under a big crowd. So it's the perfect opportunity. Uh, I think we've got a very good chance of progressing again as long as, you know, the, the draw goes our way. But, yeah, we will go for it on Wednesday. I'm really looking forward to it, sitting in another a different place of the ground for once. And uh, it should be a great day. We had a brilliant run last year and uh, we should be going for it again. And I'm sure we will. Yes, I was going to go to that or try to. Okay, perhaps not. <laughs> there you go. Um, temps. One of the things I would like to see is see is 
play a back four because if McKenna's out injured, uh, we're running really short centre half. So I think I'd like to see us play a, a back four. Any tactical selection preferences for you? Yeah, me too. Just because it allows us to to get players on the pitch that can unlock the door and it's a bit more positive, isn't it? I mean, look, I, I haven't changed my view that there was one task um, this month, which was to beat Sheffield United at home. We did it. There's one task in September, which is to beat um, Burnley in the league. And I, I'm confident that we'll, we'll do it. Where we'll start to motor is that run in October. I think we play Brentford, Palace and Luton in successful Premier League matches. And by that point, I hope we've found our formula. We've settled into a team. The window's closed. There's no more comings and goings. We've got a very, very clear idea of the team that we are, the identity that we have, and the players that are going to help us to progress. In and amongst that, there's games against Man City, Liverpool, Chelsea, which are free hits in a sense, but we've got a, a you know a proven means of going and making a good account of ourselves um, as we did against Arsenal and Man United. So, yeah, I do see this Burnley game uh, in the Cup as an opportunity to play a, a back four. There'll be some unfamiliar personnel. There'll be heavy squad rotation, um, as there should be, as there always has been in previous rounds of the Cup. But there's there's more than enough quality um, in this Forest squad now um, to put out a rotated side without us being too concerned. So, yeah, what would I like to see? A win, obviously, but I think a back four and getting the likes of um, Alanga uh, more involved will be uh, a positive for the players, uh, a positive for Steve Cooper, and something that the fans want to see as well. A few key changes for you, Lewis. You mentioned Alanga. I guess he gets a start as a few fringe players that again. Would you would you rest Tyro well as well? Would you want to keep him cooking as he has been? Yeah, listen. I think that that no matter what competition, you winning games. His confidence, his momentum, it's a feel-good factor. So I think first and foremost, that should that should be a priority. Obviously, with a, with a Premier Premier League squad, uh, you're going to have to change and maybe look at a, a little things. But also, what you have to look at is that Burnley have started bad. They're also on that same. They're going to be in that same headspace that they need to try and build momentum. They need to try and get a feel-good factor. So they're going to take it very seriously because they they still haven't still haven't won a game this season. So I think that. Also, like I said, we try and play a few fringe players, try and get their minutes, maybe look at a, a, a few different things, but at the same time, take it uh, take it very seriously because because Burnley will do the same. Yeah, true, true, and yeah, it's, it's a good test playing against them. We will play in a couple of weeks as well, and try and play some good football against them and take the game to them would be good certainly right we've blitzed uh, a hell of a lot of ground in 55 minutes so thanks very much for everyone who's joined us any other business greg before we depart i've got a bit actually you didn't let me have my match of the day rant but it'll be exactly the same next week so i'll be able to do that next week I'm What's sick going of that to do What's your match no it's just if you'd have watched that game just on match of the day you'd have thought the penalty decision was straight away penalty uh, they don't discuss anything about Forest. It's been the two weeks now, Arsenal and Man U, not interested at all. There was so much to talk about with us then, and they're not bothered. And the way they edit things, it just makes it look like the decisions are clear and obvious. Just sick of it. They were even showing the crowd picks from the Arsenal game instead of the Man U game making it. I don't know. Just sick of Man U. But anyway, sick of match of the day. Um I don't know whether Temps is going to mention it, but I went to the food festival at Trent Bridge yesterday and it was awesome. 
and our mates whose forest season ticket holder had a um, stall there called Bar Bar, and they're at Bustler's Food Market on Thursday, Friday. So if you haven't been down there, it's great on Snenton Market. Brilliant vibe, dead good place. And go and check them out because he's a massive Forest fan. Started up this new business, meaning he can't go to away games anymore, which he's gutted about. But, you know, you've got to you've got to chase it. And he certainly is. And their food is excellent. And my one other thing is um, with all the train strikes and everything at the minute, it's been an absolute nightmare getting to away games <laughs> for loads of us. And uh, my mate Caleb lives in Rochester, I think, down south anyway. We met him after the game in Manchester, told us his tale of well about how he got here. To get home on Saturday, he met us for a drink. He had a 9pm bus to Leeds, a two hours wait in Leeds, which nobody wants to do that. Uh, then the bus down to London, uh, early hours, got to London about 7am, two hour wait for his first train to Rochester, gets home after 9am, after leaving Manchester at uh, you know, just after the game, basically. So shout out to him and hopefully these train strikes don't continue because it's an absolute nightmare. But yes. That's it from me. <laughs> well done to him. Well done to him. Uh, Temps, anything you want to shamelessly plug or say? Well, look, Greg's already praised my event. I can't compete with his conspiracy theory and I've told him Caleb needs driving lessons. So <laughs> nothing to add from me. Very good. Lewis, uh, you've got a dash shortly because you're back in management with, with Long Eaton. Uh, are you enjoying it? Good to be back. It's it's great to be back. Great to be back. Really enjoying it. Tough situation, but like I said, that we we have to embrace it uh, and smile on the face. And it's it's a great opportunity to to be involved in in what is a fantastic football club. It means a lot lot more to me with, with with it being local and where I was where I grew up. So yeah, it, like I say, we're in a bit of a tough situation, but. Yeah, I mean, we we was under no illusions that it was it was going to be that. But at the same time, we've we've got to embrace it and uh, smile on our face and and keep going. And because, like I say, we this is what keeps us going. We love football, uh, but also it, it's really nice to be a part of what is a what is a great community club. And that's for me is 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 really important. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, they're in the Southern Premier League, you know, and um, basically we're building a squad from scratch off promotion. So a tough task, but good luck with it. Uh, right, I think we'll leave it there. I assume you don't have anything to plug, Lewis, shamelessly, do you? you do you want to plug your soccer business no, or anything? No, no. I'm like I said, I've got I'm, uh, I've got a lot of uh, very very busy hectic time at the minute. So it's just kind of hands on deck, and uh, yeah, as soon as we finish this, it's it's dash and. Hopefully, uh, hopefully a good day. Yeah, absolutely. Well, we have finished this now. So thanks for everyone who watched along. Loads and loads of you in the comments. Uh, like I say, give us a like, do subscribe and do vote in the Football Content Awards if you can. Uh, it certainly all helps. And Greg and Temp would love a night out at Anfield because that's where the uh, awards are. Right. Uh, have a good few days, everyone. We shall be back on Thursday post Burnley game, looking ahead to transfer deadline day and possibly on Friday as well. I'm not sure. We'll see how mad it gets uh, with the deadline. But in the meantime, Greg, thank you very much. Cheers, mate. Enjoyed that. Temps, thank you. See you soon, fellas. Lewis up for... What's the Long Eaton's nickname? No, it does. It's just Long United. Long United Football Club. That's the most... We can't say up United after today, can we? So, yeah, come on, Long Eaton. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Thanks very much, everyone. Have a good few days, and we shall see you soon.